a trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership, and the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hey, once again, I'd like to welcome you to the show and uh, welcome you to the growing crowd of wrong thinkers, people who will think for themselves no matter what. You know, there's something very satisfactory about uh, helping to uh, to hopefully create a movement of people who we brainwash into thinking for themselves. I know it sounds like a conundrum, but uh, <laughs> really what I would like more than anything is to, to help uh, people in that process of awakening to the point where they outgrow me and they go on and they become their own uh, clear, independent thinkers and they create their own platforms and their their own uh, their own ministries, if you will, of truth. And I mean that in the sense of proclaiming truth as opposed to avoiding truth in the sense that uh, Orwell described the Ministry of Truth in 1984. Either way, I'm glad you're here. Speaking of 1984, speaking of the Ministry of Truth, this is where I want to begin today. Uh, oh, but first I want to mention uh, firesteel.com and also uh, staplesmortgage.com, two of my sponsors uh, here on The Brian Hyde Show. Please listen closely when I tell you about them. And if you find that you need their services or you need their product, give them some business. Let them know their advertising dollars are reaching you. And uh, it helps to uh, support me in turn uh, doing what I do. So let's talk about the media. Yes, the Ministry of Truth. Now, I have kind of a love-hate relationship with the media because uh, for 35 years I have been a uh, reluctant part of it. Now, at one point I was proud, you know, when I first started my radio career, I was very happy to be part of the media and, you know, felt uh, felt that sense of uh, accomplishment that people, people maybe actually know my name. Sometimes I'm a little more ashamed, and that's why I tell them that uh, actually, you know, I... Uh, I, I work at a crack house, you know, down in the bad part of town when they ask me what I do for a living. I kid. But there's there's a lot of uh, I, I have a sense of disgust for much of the heritage media, not because there aren't gr- good, talented people that work within it. It's the direction that media has gone, particularly the mass media, the corporate media in America seems to be determined not so much to provide us with facts and provide us with as much information as they can to help us make informed decisions, but leave the decision-making up to us, so much as they become kind of a way of steering a particular narrative that we're supposed to buy into. And you can see this in the consensus, the incredible uniformity in the way that things are reported. I'm not saying that it's a conspiracy, mind you. I'm just saying that there's, there's a sense that, well, we're here to tell you what to think, and how to feel about things. And it's in a condescending sense, like you are the unwashed. You are, you're the Trumpsters, so to speak. (laughs) Because that's the kind of attitude that they took leading up to the 2016 election. I mean, this, this echo chamber of journalists talking to other journalists, and they all agree on the same things. And how could anybody possibly be such a Philistine as to not see things the way that we see them? And and so their contempt for the American people, I think, is very apparent. And as, as much as I, I would have to concede, I don't think it's a good idea to go around feeling contemptuous towards one another. But there's a part of me that's relieved when I see that the American people are actually starting to feel a sense of contempt toward the media. 
there's a great article by Quinn Hillier. This is published in the Washington Examiner, and it says the American public holds the media in contempt and the public is right. This is what Quinn Hillier has to say. The establishment media continues to become more and more unpopular for very good reason. Now, a recent major survey came out this week showing deep distrust in the media and then a top producer at MSNBC and a recently deposed opinion editor from the New York Times aired their own biting critiques. And the message from all three is that the media has forfeited professional standards and ethics. And Quinn Hillier says that message is correct. So the... the, um, person who quit her job as a producer for MSNBC's Last Word with Lawrence O'Donnell, Ariana N. Picari, says, we are a cancer and there is no cure. That's what a successful, insightful TV veteran told her before she quit her job just a couple of days ago. Apparently, Picari had penned a blog post agreeing with that assessment. She says the model used by cable news networks and presumably other news outlets blocks diversity of thought and content. Because the networks have incentives to amplify fringe voices and events at the expense of others. She wrote that the cancer risks human lives and risks our democracy, in part because contextual and factual data are often considered too cumbersome for the audience. Can I put that in plain language? You're too dumb to understand how things work. If I could quote the uh, late Senator Bob Bennett, who uh, once uh, uttered those very words to me and my radio audience during an interview. You, you just people, you know, people don't understand how Washington, D.C. works. By the way, it was kind of satisfying when uh, the voters turned him out at convention shortly after that. Now, the main thrust of these sentiments, according to the article, is that they, reinfer- they reaffirm the message of Barry Weiss, the uh, New York Times opinion staff editor, who resigned her position just about a month ago with a scathing exit letter of her own. On Friday during Real Time with Bill Maher, she amplified her point saying, I don't want to live in a world where ha- the views of half the country can't be heard in the paper of record. And Weiss said, and that I fear is where we're headed. In her resignation letter, Barry Weiss had written the lessons that ought to have followed the 2016 election, lessons about the importance of understanding other Americans, the necessity of resisting tribalism, and the centrality of a free exchange of ideas to a democratic society, have not been learned. Instead, a new consensus has emerged in the press that truth isn't a process of collective discovery, but an orthodoxy already known to an enlightened few whose job is to inform everyone else. End quote. That is, uh, that's profound. And to me, it appears to be really on target. Now, the article says a huge portion of the American public agrees with Weiss and Picari. On Tuesday, the Knight Foundation and Gallup polling organization released the results from a massive study of public attitudes toward the media. The results all look bad for the media, and almost all of them are worse than in the organization's previous study just two years earlier. See, the problem is that there is a, there's a perception that these mistakes are intentional. And I don't know that I would disagree. I don't think that, uh, that I would disagree with that at all. An astonishing 86% of people see at least a significant amount of bias in the media, with 49% of those polled saying, I see a great deal of bias. But worse, the public think inaccuracies aren't honest mistakes, 
they think it may be intentional. Like, in other words, 54% say, I think the media knowingly misrepresents facts. 28% saying that reporters make up facts entirely. And the article goes on to say the public sees bad consequences flowing directly from these misbehaviors, with 36% saying the media bears a moderate amount of the blame for the nation's political divisions, plus a whopping additional 48% saying that reporters merit a great deal of blame. Now, I'm going to just take a quick aside here for a moment and say, I don't know that it's so much the outright lies that uh, that are being told. And I, I there may be some places where there are, you know, willful distortions or somebody saying something that just clearly isn't true. More often than not, though, in my opinion, what what shades media coverage and what uh, amounts to me is manipulative uh, behavior on the part of many reporters and uh, members of the media is the omission of key facts or evidence or just details that would have given us a more complete picture of what was going on. And to me, that's that's every bit as bad as telling an outright lie. Because the purpose is to deceive, is to keep people from understanding or discovering the truth. So maybe that's a maybe that's a difference without a distinction. I don't know. But I'm saying that uh, for, for all the fake news out there, for all the, the, uh, the really overt falsehoods that you might encounter, I think you're far more likely to encounter uh, a curious silence on some things. If it doesn't fit the narrative, we're not really going to talk about it. And what does appear to fit the narrative is often sensationalized, hyped, and misrepresented to make it appear to be something much more significant than it is. Now, the article says significantly the public holds fast to the idea of separating what it calls straight news from opinion and finds the media woefully lacking. So 73 percent of those polled say they see too much bias in the reporting of news stories that are supposed to be objective. Now, I'm going to pause here because we're coming up on our break, but this is one of the key ways you can tell whether or not you are dealing with journalism or whether you're dealing with storytelling, which is another way of saying narrative. Narrative always will include labels. So if a reporter is standing there and they are dropping labels or they're they're giving you emotion-laden words, it's a pretty fair bet they're trying to tell you how to think or how to feel about a particular story. And the question you and I have to train ourselves to ask is, why would they want me to feel that way? Why is it being reported this way or why is it trying to elicit this particular response? We'll come back to this just the other side of these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, once again, welcome back to the show. And again, a quick shout-out to our sponsors, uh, Firesteel.com, as well as the Staples-Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. Firesteel.com is one of those companies that uh, I hope you will take the time to visit their website because they have incredible demo videos and they have a lot of different products. When, when we say Firesteel, I'm talking about flint and steel, the kind you spike, you, I'm sorry, you strike sparks with in order to start a fire. Now, if you are a serious prepper or if you're someone who is determined, I'm going to be prepared for as many you know unforeseen circumstances as possible. You have to have an, the ability to start a fire under just about any conditions. 
These fire steels are the best thing going in that they're very compact. They are extremely affordable. And one good fire steel, like the, the Gobspark, will take the place of 15,000 matches. I mean, how valuable would that be to have when you need it? Go to firesteel.com, check out their selection, watch the videos. Look how easy it is to start a fire with these and just the, the most rudimentary preparations and skills. You can do it. You don't have to be a caveman. You can do it. And when you purchase these uh, Fire Steel products, I want you to uh, put my name in at checkout. That's the coupon code, Brian, B-R-Y-A-N, and they'll give you 10% off at checkout. Again, it's firesteel.com. So I'm sharing with you this article from the Washington Examiner. Quinn Hillier is the author, and there's a recent major survey that appears to show growing contempt for the major media in this country. And while I'm not telling you that it's a good idea to go around feeling contempt for people, I have to admit, I don't like being manipulated. I do not like being misled or deceived, especially if someone is doing it for the purpose of trying to uh, shepherd me into a corner or paint me into a corner. And that's exactly the perception I have in the way that much of the news is presented by the media. Take your pick. There are very few stories you will find that, that don't have some kind of a slant that, that seems to come out with, well, you know, individual freedom is selfish and it's scary and it's dangerous and the people who believe in it are nothing but a bunch of, you know, fringe lunatics. But government is good and it's there to bless you and help you. And, and if you just do what it, it tells you, why, everything is going to be great. Yeah, I don't buy into that. And frankly, neither should you. As Quinn Hillier says, these days, if you ask a reporter for a major network or East Coast paper about balance and fairness, you're likely to hear elitist notions about how those things are less important than divining and instructing the masses about the truth. Think about that for just a second. It's more important to steer the public in the proper direction and, and tell you what, what you're supposed to believe than to let you make up your own mind. And the article here says, ask ordinary people, though, you'll find that they would prefer so-called news pages and newscasts to contain facts and balance, unanalyzed and without ide ideological filters, so the readers or the viewers can make up their own minds. Now, get this, it's not that news consumers want no opinion. It's just that they want to see those opinions regulated to pages or shows labeled as such. So for most people, it's anathema to see a cable news anchor who shakes her head disgustedly or worst interrupts when an interviewee talks or who goes off script to comment on breaking news from the field. Meanwhile, the public wants a fair airing of all opinions. It's far less enamored of the uh, establishment media's fetish for demographic diversity. Yes, 35% of those polled think diversity is critical. Another 34% say it's very important. But those numbers pale in comparison to the 65% who think accurate and fair news reports are critical. And the additional 27% who say that it's very important. So here's the message to the, to the media from Quinn, uh, from Quinn Hillier. Get out of your insular bubbles. Get off your high horses. Stop preaching your truth to us and just report the damn news. Or if you want to air your opinion, then clearly label it as such. Truth in labeling matters, even if too many in the establishment media lack the integrity to practice it. That's pretty amazing. 
Well, I, I put it back on us. So I'm not suggesting in any way that, uh, therefore, the you know Congress should step in and somebody should regulate what's happening with these news organizations. I don't think that that's necessarily the case. In fact, I don't think it's the case at all. I don't want government being the one to dictate this is how it has to be and this is what the, the news media should be. You and I have to be responsible enough to make these choices for ourselves. I think back to a couple of years ago, I wrote a column about um, creating your own safe space. And this was in the heels of uh, on the heels of Alex Jones being deplatformed. And the question that I asked was, who's responsible for creating your safe space? I mean, there were people who sighed relief when they heard that Alex Jones had been given the boot by a majority of social media platforms. And my point is, I don't know if uh, if if it's I don't know if it's a good thing to boot him, whether you agree with his views or not. Why would you think that it's better for someone else to make that decision for you? Basically, I'm saying if, if you don't like his views, if you don't like what Alex Jones does or what he stands for, isn't it on you to turn him off or to turn your back and say, yeah, he doesn't offer me anything of value. And what was disturbing is two years ago, it wasn't so much that uh, that he was uh, you know, preaching fake news. It was so much they, they were saying, well, what he's saying is hate speech. And that is the the classic bogus predicate where there's no specifiable content as to what exactly constitutes that hate speech. It's this catch-all accusation that somehow carries the weight of conviction in the court of public opinion. Because we all know hate is a bad thing, right? But we're left to our own emotional associations to let our imaginations fill in the blank of what was actually said or done. And in this sense, you know, like uh, when, when uh, you're holding a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Well, that legal ambiguity of hate speech is kind of like that, except it's a tool to ban any viewpoint you just don't want to hear. And the problem here is that doesn't reflect very well on the persuasiveness of your own opinions. See, I don't I, I don't want to tell people, you know, to to just simply, you know, unplug from the world, although I think you should occasionally unplug from the matrix and just remind yourself it's not as bad or the world isn't as crazy as the media is telling you. But if you're going to figure out what's going on, if you want to consume news or consume opinion and have an idea of what's going on, you better not be counting on somebody else to tell you what to think. You have to be shaping your own ability to discern and weigh and contrast and measure and compare and then arrive at what you feel best represents the truth. And by the way, there's no way that we can know everything that's going on. So don't uh, don't make yourself frustrated by thinking that, uh, oh, but somehow I'm missing something. We all are. And frankly, any news story that comes your way is coming to you in fragments, little tiny words and segments that are cut up and, and made to fit into a 22 minute long newscast with time for commercials. Yeah, you don't uh, you don't have time to, to examine every little bit of evidence and to know everything that's going on. So be discretionary, be discriminating in that sense about what is being fed to you. And if something doesn't add value, don't hesitate to turn your back on it. But above all, don't call for the silencing of other people. If you want to separate truth from untruth, you've got to be willing to shoulder the responsibility of being your own truth detector. I, I bristle at these fact checkers that, that pop up on Facebook. Well, this has been independently fact checked. Thank you very much. I am my own fact checker. 
And it doesn't mean that I get it right 100% of the time, but it means I take responsibility for what I will see, what I will consider, and what I will ultimately believe. I don't need someone else's help. And I'm certainly not going to cheer the silencing of people with whom I disagree because I believe that my own point of view has merit. And if I can't persuade you to see that merit, then it must not be a very good point of view. I guess there's no sophistication in gloating when another person is being silenced. And there's definitely no satisfaction in the idea that uh, I'm not smart enough to figure things out, you know, so I need someone who's an adult to tell me how things are. Not so. You are an adult. It's time to start acting like one. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, once again, welcome back to the show. Thanks for reveling in Wrong Think with me today. I am watching with great interest how the mask wars continue to escalate around us. And, and I see different videos coming up from around the country that, that uh, make me think, holy cow, people are just unhinged. I think about the Burrito Brothers video, which uh, at least this is what it's come to be called. The guys sitting there eating their breakfast burritos as a, as a man and a woman in a mask walk by, come back and then accost them. You guys aren't wearing masks and blah, blah, blah. The lady throws hot coffee on the Burrito Brothers. One of the Burrito Brothers gets up and, and pummels her and her soy boy boyfriend, you know, for for throwing hot coffee on him and interestingly enough she was the one who i think ended up getting charged with assault when the police finally got involved but you know here's the larger issue what the heck is going on that it's come to this the people feel the need to confront and to to physically accost other people over something as simple as a face mask See, I'm a live and let live kind of guy if you feel safe wearing a mask then by all means i say you wear that mask And I'm not going to tease you about it. I'm not going to make you feel bad. I'm not going to follow you around bleeding like a sheep. But if I decide that that is not what I am going to do, I think you should be grown up enough to accept that. And and there's another problem that's starting to come up. And this is this is the part that just makes me sad is in in, uh, I, I used to live in Cedar City, Utah. Loved it. Wonderful little community. Lived there for 12 years. And my favorite grocery store to shop at was Smith's. And I knew a lot of the people there that just I got to know the employees and see familiar faces every time I was shopping. And they're really, really great people. But a recent video just came up within the last uh, couple of days of a man in the Cedar City, Utah, Smith's food store being verbally abused by three employees. And when I say verbally abused, I don't mean they're like, sir, would you please put on your mask? Please, I mean, I'm talking F-bombs, and you're a Trumpster, and you're a piece of you-know-what, and, and, you know, get out of here. Get out of here. I'm going to throw you out of this store. That's the kind of verbal abuse I'm talking about. And, and to set the stage for you, the guy goes into the store wearing a mask. Now, it's more of a Lone Ranger-type mask, but, you know, the, the policy is, Kroger and Smith's policy is masks are required. And there's usually someone who will tell you you need to be wearing a mask when you come in. I don't know how strictly they enforce it, but but in this case, these employees followed this guy around who's wearing kind of a superhero type mask. And I get the point he's making. He's like, look, technically I'm wearing a mask. Nowhere on your sign does it say you have to wear this mask properly. 
just says that a mask is required. So I'm wearing a mask. Well, here come these three employees, and they corner him, and they are cussing at him. One of them is threatening to physically remove him and just getting in his face. It goes on for like six minutes. And by the way, I will share the video in the show notes, but I'm going to warn you right now. There's a lot of bad language, and every last bit of it is coming from these employees. One of them in particular, but uh, the guy himself, uh, you may think whatever you want. I know there were some of the YouTube commenters like, well, he was an idiot for going in there like that. I'll say this. He was he was calm. He was collected. He did not escalate things. He very clearly stated, you know, why he was, uh, you know, going in there wearing the mask the way he was. He, he was, you know, he was clearly making a point, but he was also illustrating the ridiculousness of the policy. The employees, on the other hand, were about as unhinged as anybody I have seen. It's a crazy thing to watch. And he stays calm the whole time, and they're they're just making this into this huge deal. We want to trespass you from the store, and we're going to call the cops, and they're dropping names of people in law enforcement. Well, I know this person, and I know that person. It is just, it's bizarre. And not just a little bit sickening. And I guess it troubles me because... That was my favorite store. That's where I would go. I was constantly in that store when I lived in Cedar City. I wouldn't go there on a bet today just because of the, the conduct of those employees. And, and I, I'm not a proponent of cancel culture, but I will say, man, if, if Smith's corporate doesn't have those employees kicking a pebble down the road by close of business today, then something is dreadfully wrong in their heads. You should never treat people like that and especially over something as simple as the 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 prospect of well he wasn't wearing a mask correctly i'll encourage you watch the video for yourself again if there's small kids around you may want to get them out of the room i'm not giving you the censored version i want you to see exactly how unhinged people are becoming now at the same time I'm going to offer a little bit of encouragement here because if you are determined not to be forced into doing things against your will you're going to need a little bit of courage. You're going to need some fortitude and some backbone. But a little preparation and willingness to prepare ahead of time goes a long way towards protecting your self-determination. Alan Stevo, in an article published on LewRockwell.com earlier today, talks about how to be exempt from a face mask at the grocery store every time. And he gives you an example. He says a lot of people write to him about the topic. He says the most common request I receive is how can I exercise an exemption to a face mask at the grocery store? And he says here's what's worked for him every single time. Number one, look up the store's phone number online. Number two, take out a pad of paper, write the date, time, and phone number. Number three, call and ask for the manager. Write down the name of anyone who says their name. If asked, your reason for calling is that you have a question about the face mask policy. Now, if the person on the phone claims sufficient authority over the topic, just talk to him and say, I am unable to wear a face mask safely. May I still shop with you? I was thinking of coming by this afternoon. And then he says, be patient. Don't say anything. Let them have their turn. Don't interrupt. Listen. Take notes. Because they will say either yes or they'll offer to shop for you, they'll say no, or they'll ask you more about your condition. So if they say yes, which about 88% of the time is going to be the case, 
You're done. Congratulations. That was easy. After contemplating the next step, just go shopping. If they offer to shop for you about 10% of the time, get your shopping list and go to the store. If they ask about your condition, which they almost certainly won't, tell them you aren't comfortable talking about it. There are lots of good reasons not to go down that road with them. And if they say no, ask to speak to someone else. By the way, a good way to do that is to say, is there someone else who would have the authority or the ability to make that decision? And then ask to speak to them. It's, it's not a matter of, get me your supervisor or Karen, get me your manager. I want to speak to the manager. In other words, you can ask diplomatically. Alan Stevo says, if you encounter one of the very few managers who deny you entry and refuse to let you speak to someone else, he says, then please honor their property rights. Go shop somewhere else and try again during a different shift. But he says, by all means, make it a point to call their corporate office about the matter. The next step, and he says this is very important, is to ask this. So should I ask for someone at the door or what should I do when I arrive? That's a question that will get you a higher level of service, and the person on the phone is going to likely suggest you ask for them or another manager. Get the name of anyone you should ask for, and be sure to use that name when you show up at the store. Now, Alan Stevo says that's an important step because a manager doesn't want you standing in line unmasked. A manager doesn't want you freaking out other customers. A manager doesn't want you lingering around the store unhelped. And Alan Stevo says, because of this step, I'm often escorted to the front of the line. Some cities still have two hour long lines for groceries and the people living there put up with it. But he says, because of this step, my presence in the store will often be announced across the employee communication channels and the employees will be instructed not to harass me nor to allow anyone to harass me. Because of this step, he says, I'm given white glove service at the grocery store, the same level of service I hope you are granted for your bravery. He says, I've never been in my life treated like such a valuable customer at the grocery store. But he does clarify, please don't cause a scene. Calling ahead of time is the right way to do this. Tensions run high at the door. Approaching a face mask compliance checkpoint unmasked puts you at a disadvantage and may put the person that's manning the checkpoint unnecessarily on edge. And he says, please don't avoid the trouble of making the phone call. It's a three-minute phone call, and it's vital to the process. It peacefully, respectfully, and reasonably resists a one-size-fits-all medical order. And he says, please don't go into the store with a mask, even if you're in a hurry. If you have a legitimate reason not to enter a store without a face mask, don't push yourself to wear it. Instead, push yourself to stand up for yourself and your legitimate and honorable boundaries. There's little that can be more important than spending five minutes or ten extra minutes on this, but vow today never again to wear a face mask at a store. Freedom isn't free. He says, what I'm asking is take the unpopular stand. Don't wear the face mask if you are one of many of millions of exempt people. And he says, don't avoid the grocery store. Don't avoid the unpleasantness of a phone call to the manager or the tiny risk of uncomfortable but calm confrontation. The point being... Your liberties are being incrementally denied you and denied many others. You are stopping the picking away at freedom with this seemingly tiny but incredibly incredibly meaningful act. I'll have the article linked in the show notes. You can get it at thebrianhydeshow.com. Well worth your time. Make the phone call ahead of time. See how that works out. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, once again, welcome back to the show. Thank you for reveling in Wrong Think with me today. I have a very special guest joining me in Hour 2 of the show, and I just want to tell you this so you can make a note and plan on joining me as, as Kurt Mercadante joins me to talk about his work in helping people as well as teams and organizations become more purposeful, productive, and profitable. This is going to be such a breath of fresh air. His message is very positive. It'll give you a very solid boost of hope and encouragement to where you can focus on the places where your influence can actually make a genuine difference. Because there's a lot of stuff going on around us right now that you and I don't really have any control over. And sometimes it's frustrating. In fact, I, I can tell you this, hands down, the most frustrated people that I encounter are typically the people who have not found or uncovered some sense of purpose or mission in their lives and feel like, you know, they are just uh, some plaything, some marionette who's subject to, uh, you know, the whims of the universe. Kurt Mercadante has an incredible message, and I'll have links to his site, which you can find in the show notes at com. I think you're going to really enjoy his message. I first stumbled across his work on Twitter just a few weeks ago and thought, this is a guy who I think uh, I would really like to introduce to my audience. So I hope that you'll you'll take the time to join us for that interview. Now, I want to talk about something that uh, sadly is not being talked about very much. You know, while we're fighting over masks and earnestly contending over this and that regarding COVID, one of the biggest stories that should be on our radar screens but somehow isn't is the ongoing destruction of thousands of small businesses dying on the vine. And Madeline No wonders, why isn't anyone tracking the carnage? Now, I talk about this fairly often with uh, my friend Gary Welch. We actually have a wonderful ebook that uh, describes how uh, the, the COVID virus or the coronavirus has become kind of a, a mechanism by which small business is being destroyed with business owners being told, well, you're not essential. You're going to have to close or you can only operate at such and such capacity. As if someone in some position of authority can determine, you know, what it takes for that business to to make it or not. And they, they really don't care because it's all being done in the name of public safety. Here is what uh, this is what Madeline No says about uh, the business impact and the thousands of businesses who are, are going under currently. She says, big companies are going bankrupt at a record pace, but that's just part of the carnage. By some accounts, small businesses are disappearing by the thousands amid the COVID-19 pandemic, and the drag on the economy from these failures could be huge. She says, this wave of silent failures goes uncounted, in part because real-time data on small business is notoriously scarce, and because owners of small firms often have no debt, and so there's no need for bankruptcy court. William Dunkelberg, who runs a monthly survey as chief economist for the National Federation of Independent Business, says probably all you need to do is call the utilities and tell them to turn them off and then close your door. Nevertheless, he says closures are going to be well above normal because we are in a disastrous economic situation. Now, I, I've been telling you, you know, we've got we got a very hopeful, positive show coming up, you know, and and, and I want to I want to sound that hope wherever possible. But I also believe that refusal to face facts is not helping things either. And this is just my opinion, but I think that we are seeing just the tiniest beginning of the kind of economic fallout that is, is in our future 
because of the official response to the coronavirus. You know, they were worried, well, people might die from that virus, Brian. Aren't you concerned about that? Oh, yeah, I'm concerned about that. But I'm also very concerned about the people who are dying and will die because they have been robbed of their livelihood, because they are pushed into despair and bankruptcy. I think I mentioned this the other day. A friend who I follow on Facebook commented that uh, the the young man in the apartment uh, near hers committed suicide. That's the seventh person she knows of personally who has taken their own life in the last few months. Do some deaths matter more than other deaths? Maybe that's something we should ask. Back to the article. Yelp Incorporated. The online reviewer has data showing more than 80,000 permanently shuttered businesses were recorded from March 1st to July 25th. Now, about 60,000 were local businesses or firms with fewer than five locations. About 800 small businesses did indeed file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy from mid-February to July 31st. That's according to the American Bankruptcy Institute. The trade group says the 2020 total could be up 36% from last year. And by the way, the restaurant industry apparently leads with the most local business closures. So while the businesses are small individually, the collective impact of these failures could be substantial. Firms with fewer than 500 employees account for about 44% of U.S. economic activity. That's according to a U.S. Small Business Administration report, and they employ nearly half of all American workers. Justine Bacon permanently shut her Yoga Brain studio in Philadelphia after she decided it was too dangerous to hold indoor classes because of the pandemic. Now, Bacon didn't file for bankruptcy. She just closed up shop and went out of business back on June 30th. She said, I felt, I felt it better to close with some money in the account and not have to worry about bankrupting the business. Boy, that's a heck of a position to be in, wouldn't you say? And Chapter 11 bankruptcy gives a business protection from its creditors while the owners work out a turnaround plan. But for smaller companies, that extra time may not make any difference. Robert Keach is a restructuring partner at a New New England-based Bernstein Schur and also a former president of the American Bankruptcy Institute. Robert says bankruptcy cannot create more revenue. Now, some owners fear bankruptcy could scar their credit reports. It could even hurt their future chances to rebuild. Bankrupt businesses have a nearly 24% point higher likelihood of being denied a loan, that according to the Small Business Administration, and a filing can show up on a credit report for up to 10 years. That's one of Rebecca Schneer's concerns. Things were looking up for Schneer and her jewelry and fair trade shop, New Lotus Moon, in the Woodlands, in Woodlands, Texas. She opened in 2018 and finally started to break even at the start of this year. Then the virus hit. And after her store closed to walk-in customers, she said sales dropped. She couldn't cover rent, so she emptied the shop around mid-May, moved her jewelry cases into storage, and dismissed her part-time employee. She's making minimum payments on nearly $50,000 in loans. And she says, what if I want to have a mobile boutique and go buy a vehicle for that? Would I be able to get a loan? Now, to be sure, small business attrition is high even in normal times. Only about half of all establishments survive for at least five years. Again, that's according to the SBA. But the swiftness of the pandemic and the huge drop in economic activity is hitting hard among typically upbeat entrepreneurs. Roughly 58% of small business owners say they're worried about permanently closing. That's according to a July U.S. Chamber of Commerce survey. 
And in a June 2020 NFIB survey, a net 31% of owners reported lower sales in the past three months, while 7% reported higher sales a year earlier. In the same survey, nearly 13% of business owners said it was a good time to expand. That's a dip from 24% just a year earlier. So the problem is, is very real. And I don't know what the solution is. I don't think government bailing them out is going to be the solution. That's just simply, okay, let's transfer more money from the taxpayers and put them on the hook for something that's going to have to be paid back because the uh, government cannot, uh, can't, it can't just make money. It can create it out of thin air, but somebody's got to actually create the value that backs that money. That's, again, coming to you and me. So every bailout check that's handed out just means that the taxpayers are on the hook for another generation or two or three. What does it matter at this point? I guess if there's one takeaway that I would ask you to consider from this, it's that, you know, the, the, the story talks about, well, you know, of course, the pandemic and the huge drop in economic, economic activity. That drop does not land at the feet of coronavirus. The virus itself has no understanding of economics. It has no ability to influence the economy. The only thing that influenced the economy were the politicians and the bureaucrats and the various health officials who made a conscious decision to shut things down, to mandate this business can be open, that business cannot. It's the central planners, that, that hallmark of socialism and collectivism, that thought we can control this if we just, you know, flex and exert enough control over the economy, over what people are doing, over what people are wearing, where they go, how many people can gather in any one place at one time. Now, you may not want to hear this, but if you want to look at a country that has come through with at least a lower amount of economic damage, Sweden still is the one to look at. They didn't lock down. They didn't shut down their economy. They did, they did experience some difficulties. Everybody has because of concerns over coronavirus. But the ones who are really suffering right now are the ones who took aim and shot themselves squarely in the foot by choice. Why would we let that happen again? This is The Brian Hyde Show.